Hey, Dunker Punks. We are back with a very special bonus episode. And get this, this conversation is so great that we decided to create a bonus, bonus episode. That's right. This is part one of a two-part conversation between Josiah and Catherine. And their conversation is so good that it really needs very little in way of introduction. But one thing that I noticed as I was listening was my deep appreciation for the way that Catherine articulates her own personal faith journey that took her through several different traditions and denominations before she found the Church of the Brethren in San Diego. Especially for those of us who were born and bred in this tradition, and maybe, like me, somewhat jaded by its failures, it's powerful to hear people like Catherine remind us just how radical and practical and Jesus-shaped our theological convictions and the way we live them out can be. Whether you are born and bred, or a convinced brethren sibling, or just a fan of good conversation between faithful people about God's justice and mercy, I hope you are as encouraged by this episode as I've been. Hey, Dunker Punks. It's Josiah Ludwig here with another podcast around social justice and some of the awesome things that are being done in our denomination that maybe not all of us know about. In the last couple months, it seems like the news has been filled with many stories about different people groups striving to get into our country. And it got me to thinking, what are the brethren doing about um, these different immigration challenges. I mean, if we're supposed to truly love our neighbor, it would seem that we should be doing something to love those who are looking for safety and asylum. Enter Catherine LaPointe and Oasis Ministries out of San Diego First Church of the Brethren. She's doing amazing work, and I'm just really inspired by all that's happening through this organization. And I hope that you'll be inspired to get involved as well. So I hope you enjoy our somewhat lengthy conversation around asylum seekers, the love of neighbor, and the work of welcome. So I'm so happy to be joined by a new friend of mine, Catherine, who I believe we got into contact with each other uh, several months back, a cold call, and just have become fast friends. And I've been just floored by the work that's being done in San Diego and um, a lot of, of what you've been about. And I just really, from that first conversation, thought, you know what? The Dunker Punks need to hear from you and hear about um, what makes you tick and where you are, what you're doing, and all that kind of stuff. So welcome. We're so happy to have you. Thank you. Yeah. Yes, I do remember cold calling you. I'm here in San Diego, First Church of the Brethren, and I'm, my desk is labeled the Oasis Center, which is a little bit aspirationally named for me, myself, and me. I'm part of our faith community here, sort of helping coordinate their asylum ministry. And so I had heard about an asylum-seeking couple 
who had some housing insecurity because the landlord was going to kick them out and took their rent, but was going to kick them out anyway. They were newly arrived in the country. It was an LGBTQIA plus couple. I had received a call from the Transgender Law Center Butterfly Project in Tijuana, was just posting and calling all of the asylum advocacy grassroots groups. And I said, hey, you know, they're in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. And I was like, why? What's in Harrisburg? So I just Googled, well, Pennsylvania, the um, the Brethren Mothership. <laughs> so <laughs> I just started like Googling, like, like half of what I do is just Googling. Looked up the churches in Pennsylvania, looked for one close and looked for someone who might um, have an enthusiastic response to loving their literal neighbors. And you picked up the phone. I'm very, very glad. Was the response enthusiastic enough? <laughs> you know, I, I, and I, I did a series of um, trainings with On Earth Peace called Community-Based Responses to Asylum. And your community relationships are what helped that couple find security and safety. So all the work you had previously done in your community was able to coalesce in kind of a crisis situation. So I'm very grateful and was very impressed. I am also familiar with Pennsylvania because of the Burks Family Detention Center. Mm, yeah. And last fall, there was a family that was released. Um, they'd spent about a month in prison there. And I put them on a bus with no money. And it was a mom and a dad and a five-year-old. And they were ethnic Tajik Muslim people fleeing political persecution with an asylum claim who were on this like multi-day bus trip across the U.S. They had, um, wasn't sure what was going to happen to them when they arrived. They were going to the Bay Area. I am not in the Bay Area, the San Francisco area. And so I cold called all the mosques in uh, the Bay Area and nobody picked up. <laughs> yes. So... But what did happen is I have a friend in Utah that I contacted and she reached out to the Church of Latter-day Saints and every stop in their four-day bus trip, they were met by um, Mormon women who were bringing them food. And that was all organized in an afternoon. Um, wow. So I heard about this Friday afternoon about this family from Burks and heard about it Friday afternoon. And the first bus stop they were met at was at four o'clock in the morning, like like eight or 10 hours later. So, wow. so it's, I was just really grateful for you picking up the phone. <laughs> mm. That's I'm answering the call. You answered the call. Mm. I'm grateful too. Um, gained a friend through it as well. And, and yeah, just so excited to, to kind of have this conversation. So just talk to us a little bit about how, like you said, where you are, mm -hmm. uh, how did that sort of happen? I know yeah. there's a lot that played into it, but I'm sure people would love to know how you got to where you are presently. Yeah. Well, I'm here at, um, you know, in the Church of the Brethren and, and how I got to it was by basically being more Anabaptist than you are. <laughs> no, I more. win. I win. I win. Love wins. I win. So I was raised Catholic, very, very, very traditional Catholic family. My family's names are my siblings, Thomas, Catherine, Mark, John, James, and Anne. And then in college, I joined an extremely sort of conservative evangelical college group, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship. And then I married a Presbyterian pastor. 
So if you're tracking, you have, you know, something of like a church history background, I went Catholic, Lutheran, you know, evangelical to reformed. (laughs) (laughs) And then um, I ended up working for a Disciples of Christ Church, which that split off of the Presbyterian Church at the turn of the century because they were arguing about who could take communion. So it's kind of the kinder, gentler version of Presbyterianism. Mm -hmm. And then I spent um, a fair amount of time sort of wandering in the desert and then made the acquaintance of Church of the Brethren in the summer, fall of 2018. And I, at that time, was coordinating um, and training churches to house asylum seekers. I remember walking into into the building to meet with the leaders and talk with them. And I remember seeing on the wall, and I remember touching it. I actually physically touched this sign on the wall that said, peacefully, simply, together. Mm -hmm. And I touched it and I said to myself, well, that's too good to be true. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe maybe it is, question mark. Peacefully, simply together. I'm like, right, sure. (laughs) Because I had just experienced so much conflict and vitriol and ugliness and hatefulness and church splits. And, you know, as a religious studies minor in college, and I remember having to read this book about church schisms of like where basically like churches blow up over arguing about who can take communion or not. My husband had, through no fault of our own, been caught up in church splits. And so I was, you know, kind of a little bit jaded when I wandered in here. You say, I, I want you to say it because you say it so much better, but like you came for what? what, yeah, what is yeah. It? yeah, yeah. I came here for the asylum ministry and I stayed for the anabaptism and I fell in love with the faith community here and the way that they are just radically committed to their neighbor's good in a way that I had never seen over time. So, you know, when the news cycle gets really hot about immigration issues or, you know, again, even when you pick up a phone call in a in an acute situation, that's fantastic. But this community loves people over time mm-hmm. um, and remains committed to addressing their neighbor's needs. Amen. Well, that's what it's about, right? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I know some about that, like sort of being there when when the, the heat is the hottest, as you, as you say. Because one of the reasons I, in fact, called you to do this episode is, you know, the, the stuff happening with Afghanistan and, and things happening with, with Haiti and all the news about the southern border and all this different stuff. It just seemed like a really good time for the Dunker Punk community to hear from somebody doing some of this work. And so, but what about the rest of the time, right? When it's not, not so hot, right? And I think yeah. that's beautiful just to hear that, you, you know, you found a faith community that is there loving people even during the the hot times as well as you know the the in between so to speak so you had mentioned the desert can you maybe tell us a little more about kind of that time and that did for you yeah and I I I can and I I think that's really relevant to how I ended up really immersing myself in asylum issues is is ideas about what welcome means Mm. And I, in college, I had some friends that were wrestling with their sexuality and went through some conversion therapy and, Mm. um, you know, celibacy. And it was the 90s and the AIDS crisis. Being gay at that time was a death sentence. 
Mm. You were a sinner doomed to death or you were going to die of AIDS. And you were, you're kind of welcome, like we'll welcome you into our church, but we're going to pray for your repentance. Um, And so I, over time, just really, you know, some family members um, and some really dear friends began to wrestle with this like contradiction about like what welcome means. Are you really welcome in our faith community? Well, you can come, you can attend, but you can't be in leadership and you definitely can't make a lifetime commitment to love another human being. Mm. You, may, you, you are not, no way <laughs> are, are we going to affirm you saying, I'm going to love someone forever. <laughs> Till death do us part. No. So kind of, there was this a couple breaking points in my life. One was Proposition 8 in California in 2008. And it was, again, where the Mormon church poured millions of dollars into the state next door to prevent gay marriage from being legalized. And it was a little, it was almost like this recent presidential elections that there's signs everywhere that was like a field of signs in my neighborhood of like, uh, you know, for and against gay marriage. And I was driving home from church, you know, pastor's wife, driving the kids home, pastor's kids in the car. And my seven-year-old daughter looking at all these signs, she's like, mommy, mommy, what are all these signs about? And and I tried to explain it to her. I was like, well, you know, uh, the Bible talks about Adam and Eve And some Christians think that only a man and a woman should be allowed to get married. And then some other people think that it's okay for a man to marry a man or a woman to marry a woman. And my my daughter, who's seven, just looks at me, you know, in this idea that uh, men should not be allowed to make a lifetime commitment of love to a man. And she goes, mommy, that is just mean. From the mouths of babes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You know, and um, and I think that in it is kind of evangelical. It's like super cool and trendy to talk about deconstruction. Like that is like a goal you set yourself. But for me, I didn't experience it as like, well, now I'd like to deconstruct my faith. Like I, I experienced it uh, something like a, a Jenga game, like these little wood things you stack up. And when I could no longer reconcile this belief that being gay is sin, when I could no longer like believe that this is what, how I wanted to live out my faith, what the the deepest values I had about human community. When you pull that brick of belief out, the whole thing comes down. Mm. Because if you have a high view of scripture and you pull that piece, then what are you left with? Mm. did Jesus die for our sin? Well, it's sin. Is it sin? What's eternity? What's the Trinity? And, and so I didn't really choose deconstruction, which really for me is just the desert. And I I was working for a church, going to church, but I was lost. And the, the desert is just the desert. Like you're not in the desert being like, Oh, look, yay. I'm in the desert now. And I can see the other side. And when I get out of the desert, I'm going to be like, that was awesome. Right. Right. Seems never ending, huh? So so from there, how, how do we land at Oasis? That's a that's Since we're a talking about a desert. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I ended up in working with asylum issues mostly because I failed as a stand-up comic. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Say more. <laughs> well, you know, at that time I um I was 
I was working, I had three kids in three different schools and I was working these jobs that I really didn't like that were super exhausting, helping support my husband's career. He works in environmental restoration and reforestation and community development in many of the countries that people are fleeing. Haiti, Burundi, Congo, Thailand. But for me, I was like on the the minivan hamster wheel. I was just driving in circles. And so I took this stand-up comedy class. But then when I would do these gigs, like if you're new, you have to wait till everyone else is gone. So it's like one o'clock in the morning and I'm trying to make people laugh, laugh, like all the four people that are left in the club. And then I have to like get up and drive kids around, you know, but I really, really loved it. And, and the thing I loved it is I got to kind of work out my salvation in fear and trembling in front of other people. Mm. So one of the things that I really enjoyed talking about was this pole dancing class I took. You going to say more about that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, well, one, I, I, I would caution anyone. <laughs> if you do that is to like and you're trying to talk to your kids about what you're doing is like I had to tell them please speaking of googling I had to tell them like please do not google pole dancing <laughs> <laughs> might want to be careful with that but, uh, yeah I know and um you know but you can probably tell I was like kind of due for a midlife crisis right like I was just <laughs> really really like and and one of the reasons I took a pole dancing class just one, the one that I can share here um, <laughs> is because I'm really tall. And, and as a woman in this world, like I'm subject to a lot of unwanted attention and a lot of unwanted commentary on my body. And then if you're six one and a woman in this world, it's like for some reason, people feel free to comment on it like at length, mm -hmm. like guys will want to like high five me in the street or I'll try to deflect it and people will just keep going. And, mm -hmm. and I really was trying to be comfortable with the, the body that God gave me that I couldn't change. And mm -hmm. so it, it's kind of all of a piece of people aren't, don't, the one thing in this life, so we see in America, like this myth of meritocracy, you can be anything you choose, you can anything you, if, if you have a difficult situation, you've made poor choices. Uh, but the one thing we don't choose is where we're born mm -hmm. in the body that, or the skin color or the nationality or our gender expression. We don't choose that. Mm -hmm. So Lady Gaga kind of, it was my way of sort of coping with born this way. Mm, got it. <laughs> But, but feeling, you know, unwelcome in my own body. And, you know, you can kind of, <laughs> if you're a guest, you know, like this time in the desert, a lot of family responsibilities, a lot of like, what's life all about. And I was kind of due for a midlife crisis. Mm -hmm. So that's, that, that's how I got into asylum is I had a midlife crisis. <laughs> gotcha. And again, I mean, you, you just, we hear the word welcome once again. And so that mm -hmm. kind of brings us... Mm -hmm. To, to that that part then, you know, yeah. I think you said around 2018 is when you started teaching churches yeah. and stuff yeah. like that. I um, did. And, and my husband and I had served overseas for an international congregation. And so I was pretty familiar with, you know, refugee situation in Europe. And, and, but at the time, I really thought I was being a good Christian, right? being a really good Christian. I was volunteering in my church. I was volunteering at my kids' schools. I was supporting my kids' career. I was a nice person. I, I wasn't racist at all anywhere. 
as far as I could tell. Um, But again, like in the news cycle, we can all maybe remember this image of a few years back of migrants leaving Africa and going across the Mediterranean to um, to Europe. And there was a picture of a little boy, little toddler that had drowned on a beach and he had mm. a red sweater. But in my mind at the time, I was like, well, the organization, the Christian nonprofit my husband worked for is preventing the causes of migration, right? Like I'm doing enough. But then zero tolerance in 2018, when we heard, you know, and I still, I can never talk about this without choking up. When we heard the cries of children being forcibly pulled from their mother, Mm. that broke me that broke me that I, I think we can kind of keep at a distance like pictures or things we read or e- even news clips but to hear those babies cry right like as a, as a mother like we're just attuned to hearing babies cry mm-hmm. so I started volunteering because I had this broad and deep church background training them to provide overflow housing for an immigrant shelter here in San Diego. And Christians are really, really good at charity. (laughs) Yeah. Really good at projects. Uh And I had been in and around a lot of churches. And so I took a weekend off to help organize the supply closet and then started helping churches start emergency shelters and took all my vacation and then just never went back to work. (laughs) I don't recommend that. Uh, There's nothing about my journey that I really recommend to anyone. (laughs) Fantastic. So, I mean, for those that maybe never have thought of it this way, like it seemed like when you said that word charity, it sort of oozed out of your mouth in a way. Like what, what's wrong with charity? I think that we can answer a call in a crisis situation, but a long-term investment in the well-being of our neighbors is Mm. a little bit trickier. Mm. um, That we like two-week mission trips. Yes, we do. And we go to, for example, Haiti and bring some, you know, t-shirts and the love of Jesus and meet our siblings in Christ and talk about how joyful they are and what beautiful families they have and their resilience and their deep faith, but don't come here. (laughs) Right. Don't come to this country. Like what if they're the exact same people? Welcoming people into our own communities on a long-term basis who are very, very different from us it is something that I think, I call it the work of welcome. And um, yeah. The work um, of welcome. The work that. of welcome. Yeah. Say, say more about the work of welcome that you all are doing this point in time. And Yeah. So I would ha- so our church helps refugees. And we have had the Oasis Center. I do a lot of teaching and training, and I do a lot of working trying to free people from a local immigrant detention center and work in the abolition of immigrant detention. But here on our campus, we've invited people to live in a converted classroom. And since 2018, we have served 47 people, including 24 kids, uh, mostly from Haiti, and partners with Catholic Charities. But what I want to say about that is what I want to say about that is that I'm going to go back to I'm more Anabaptist than you are. Yeah. 
Get it? Because I was not born brethren. I cannot go back and be born brethren, right? I didn't choose to be born into a Catholic family. So I actually have not been shrine immersed yet. So um, I was baptized Catholic. I was baptized. That's one. I was baptized as Catholic. And then two, in college, I like reaffirmed my faith and was baptized in the Pacific Ocean, right? As an adult choice. And so I actually want at some point to be like, to get the the third part of the trine. So I am going to say this like super controversial thing, which is that the phrase helping refugees is the least Anabaptist way you could possibly describe what we're doing here. Mm, okay. So continue. Well, yeah. Well, first <laughs> of all, so I am, I am actually, I'm in the licensing process with Church of the Brethren, because I am I am really fascinated by some of the, the tenets and faith practices of Anabaptism. And one of them is kind of the history of Anabaptists as being persecuted, as being having to leave the home that they're from. And mm-hmm. if we talk about refugees, we talk about asylum seekers or people from Afghanistan with their SIV visas, or if we identify and label people based on the legal status applied by the state, mm-hmm. we are just participating in empire. Right. That calling people refugees, they don't consider themselves refugees. Right. You know, my that little eight-year-old, seven-year-old, daughter she's now 20 and she right now she dates girls she she's gay and when I introduce her I talk about her as a nursing student and someone who loves climbing and hiking and surfing and someone who is deeply kind I don't Mm -hmm. say here's my gay daughter (laughs) (laughs) right right and then who else wants to be identified as the worst trauma they've experienced Mm, um yeah you know we don't someone a single mom moves into town and we don't say here's the here's the lady who's divorced or a victim of assault who left her abusive husband you know we say hey this is jennifer my new neighbor Mm -hmm. so what we do here is isn't a refugee ministry it's a neighbor ministry and and i will go to the mat for the compelling vision (laughs) Jesus in the neighborhood yeah not Jesus with the refugees, Jesus with LGBTQIA+, Jesus with the houseless, Jesus, it's, it's, we're loving our neighbors. And I happen to be in San Diego and I'm in my, those are my neighbors. I really like that, you know, even just the way that we use language in referring to people can very easily other them, especially when we're using like what this piece of paper that the empire has created, what, yeah. the, what that paper um, does to yeah. describe who they are or to say who they are and yeah. um, just to have that different viewpoint altogether and just be right. like no this is right this is my neighbor yeah I like yeah. that a lot that's great Which, and and those are issues of legality so it was illegal that the church and the state were merged in Germany in 1708 and that it was illegal to baptize an adult and I think that if we refer to people based on the, their migratory status as defined by the Department of Homeland Security, we're not, we're missing, we, we've strayed. Yeah, <laughs> we've strayed. Um, I like that. So what, what do you want us to know about asylum itself? And yeah. what do you want us to know about your neighbors that you're trying to, to love as best as possible? 
responsible and um, trying to be a good neighbor to them. Yeah, I think that most of what I would have to say can be summed up in in the tattoo that I have not yet gotten, but I'm threatened to get as soon as I can find the time. You want to hear about my tattoo? I would love to hear about my, it. My future, my future tattoo. My, my, my once and future tattoo. <laughs> okay, so it's it's um, Galatians 5.23. Pop quiz. Do you know what that is? Galatians 5.23. Oh, look at your face. People not, on the podcast cannot see your face right now. Not right, awesome. not right offhand. Yeah. The pastor would okay. have to look it up. Sorry. Okay, so um, it's actually, oddly enough, Galatians 5.23 is is after Galatians 5.22. Really? Um, yeah. Surprising. So Surprising. So in, <laughs> in the in the New Testament, in the in the epistles, in the Pauline epistles, like there's, I think there's like a couple verses that end up being the most embroidered verses, mm-hmm. right? So there's mm-hmm. Corinthians, love is patient, right? That gets right. you get married, you know, you mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. right? It, that's like yep. the other one is um, <laughs> the fruits of the spirit are. Mm-hmm. love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self blah 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 which is mm-hmm. I, I mean saying it that fast is kind of how i said like all of the creeds and ritual prayers when i was a little catholic girl bless us the lord and these that gives us true about to see them through christ our lord amen that's grace you say before me else. um i love that anabaptists are not creedal mm-hmm. um, we are we are the living embodiment of jesus so Galatians, so the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, etc. Galatians 5.23 is going to go on my arm, which you can't see on this podcast. It is, it's very short. It says, against such things, there is no law. Mm-hmm. There is nothing keeping us from extending love to our neighbor. There's no law against kindness. Thanks so much to Josiah and Catherine for today's episode. I am Dana Cassell, one of a rotating group of hosts for the Dunker Punks podcast. The Dunker Punks podcast is a group of folks who act and believe in ways that welcome the stranger and create surprising community. Jacob Kraus creates our music, Ali Cooney manages communication, Suzanne Lay is in charge of production, and Arlington Church of the Brethren and On Earth Peace sponsor the show. And hey, we are looking for new contributors. Have you ever had a conversation and thought, hey, that'd be a great episode of the Dunker Punks podcast? Do you have a story that needs to be told or know somebody whose witness should be shared? Our new season of the podcast starts in March, and we want to partner with you to spread those testimonies far and wide. If you have an idea and want to be one of our contributors, get in touch. You can find us online. Our show page and archives of all the episodes are on iTunes, where you can subscribe and leave a comment. You can also find them at arlingtoncob.org slash dpp. And check us out on social media at Dunker Punks Pod. You can email us, like, for example, if you have a story to contribute, at dpp at arlingtoncob.org. You can also be a donor and help support this work of Dunker Punks Podcasts. You can find that at the show page or at https colon slash slash bit dot ly slash dpp underscore donor. 
Thanks for joining us this season, Dunker Punks. We look forward to more Dunker Punk fun in the new year. <laughs>